The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you're doing well. I want to go back for a moment and, and just celebrate, uh, you know, Baptism Sunday. It, it's one of those Sundays where as a, as a church and as a team, sometimes we talk about like, how do we, how do you know if you're winning? How do you know if, if you know, things are happening that really should be in a church setting? Sometimes things can just kind of be untouchable or whatever. And um, we talked about for years, it's really stories of life change. And on Baptism Sunday, to me, that's a distinct picture, a vivid picture of life change. Because as you hear from, you know, moms and, and kids and dads and kids and, and best friends and, and, and neighbors and life group leaders and all these different connections, people sharing their stories, it was amazing to me, especially last week when people talk about like, hey, I've been sober for two months. Or another one said, you know, I've been sober for two years now. And, and just celebrating those moments, people talking about overcoming anxiety and, and putting Jesus on the throne of their hearts. And just moments where you and I get to see right in front of us pictures of life change, actual people that are, uh, you know, their lives are being changed. And so it's so fun to me to celebrate those days. And uh, boy, if you missed a baptism Sunday, you're, you're missing out on some of those stories that are really, really profound. Um, of course, my dad got baptized last week and it was a total surprise. Um, yeah, I mean... That, that, was, that was an amazing moment. And, uh, and so, you know, trying to, trying to focus on, you know, who's getting baptized in their story while my dad's like three deep over here in line to get baptized. I'm like, that's my dad? Wait a minute, like, hold on, you know. Um, but it was, really, it was really amazing to me. So then what happened was the day ends and my mind's still spinning about like, my dad got baptized, but then my phone goes missing. And, and I'm like, someone took my phone. And unfortunately we had just got, my phone's four years old. So we just got new phones and, it, and we did the whole find my phone. And a few of us laughed. Last week, had to drive out somewhere on some shady gravel road to find my phone. And um, it turns out like we're, we're pulling up and I'm like, what is going on? Like, what's going to happen? So we pull up and there's a sign in, in the window of the house that says insane asylum. Like, this is going to go well. And so I literally was like, hey, I'm just going to knock. And what I'm going to do is say, hey, we're from the Grove Church. Like just, you know, whatever. And, um, and as soon as they opened the door, it was a family that got baptized last week. And somehow my phone fell off the seat and into their purse. And uh, so it was like, oh God, you get my, my phone. Somewhere. Anyway, but but um, all, all that to say, it was, it was just a weird, like, I'm trying to be excited, but I'm also worried, like, they got all my info on my phone. So um, I don't know why I told you that, but God bless you today. Glad you're here. Um, it was a weird week. Um, we're, we're in a series. It's a, it's a short series called In This Together. And um, if you got a Bible, I always encourage you to bring a Bible, pages, a book, uh, bring it just to, to get familiar with where stuff is at. So if you got a Bible, we're going to be in John 13, the gospel of John 13. Um, of course, I know you got a smartphone. That's great. I do want to mention that there are notes in the seat in front of you that we encourage everybody. Maybe it helps you remember, helps you follow along, helps you maybe later in the week if you want to look up some things or, or walk through certain questions. That's a good thing. It's also specifically for like if you're in a life group and you want to take some notes and there's some, some things there you want to bring to life groups as they launch this week. So um, use those. That's why they're there. A um, couple of questions I want to ask, and they're rhetorical questions, but um, let me jump in with this. What would make the disciple Peter cut off a guy's ear um, after a prayer meeting? Um, another question, why would uh, the brothers James and John, who were disciples, offer to call down curses from heaven on people? Um, what, what makes a group of people remain loyal when they've just watched multitudes of others walk away from their leader after a conversation about drinking blood and eating flesh? 
Um, While all the disciples, if you know the story, some of you do, while all the disciples um, fell away at the point that Jesus was crucified, um, in the end, each of them, aside from Judas who betrayed Jesus and then John who was exiled for his faith to an island, um, each of them would be punished severely and some uh, martyred killed for standing up and proclaiming in Jesus the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Why? Why did all this, what's going on here? And, and you, you could say, well, because they believed that he was the Messiah, and that's huge. Well, because they saw him die and saw him alive after his death, that's a pretty big deal. Um, well, because he did miracles and he had authority, and, and that's true as well. Those things are all correct. But in the end, they were willing to endure punishment for the message of Jesus. Yes, because of what the Holy Spirit was doing in their hearts. Yes, because of what they believed about what they understood when you bring up things like, is this the Messiah? That's a huge deal. But I want to look at the three years that surround time that they all spent together, because to me, that sets the stage for getting to John 13 here in a moment. When you think about the three years that Jesus and the disciples spent together, there were three years where they got to see miracles performed by Jesus. I mean, we're talking like blind being able to see. People that couldn't walk and their legs didn't work, to all of a sudden their legs worked. Hands that were shriveled and, and didn't work or whatever, to all of a sudden having you know, a full mobility and, and hand function because of a prayer. You, you think of like food that was multiplied from a couple of loaves and some fish to all of a sudden feeding thousands of people. A guy who, you know, could calm the storm with a simple sentence. On top of that, they saw him walking on water and one of them, Peter, was invited out to get to walk on water as well. They experienced all of these miracles And you think about that. You think about how they listened to Jesus teach with authority. If if you know what Matthew had to say as a disciple, he writes in in, in 5, 6, and 7 of his gospel, those chapters, he writes what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Talks about what Jesus had to say. And at the very end of the whole thing, it says that the crowds marveled at him because he taught as one having authority and not like the religious leaders of their day. There was something about what Jesus had to say, and not just in a big speech among the crowd, but but daily as they spent time together, and he's imparting wisdom and kingdom principles to them, they got to hear all of it. You think of that he did predict his death and resurrection, and it came true, that, that he had the courage to confront religious leaders that were perverting the ways of God, that it became about all these burdens that nobody could you know, measure up to and nobody was good enough, and they had these things for their own benefit. They ate together, they, they slept around one another, they spent three years constantly with one another, and at one point he even empowered them to go out and share the message of the kingdom, and when they came back, they were amazed at what happened. All of that to say, yes, they believed in who he was, but when you look at all of the time spent together for that three years, that to me sets the stage for what you see in John 13, where Jesus really, really wants to get the message across of the kingdom. It says, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love, or he loved them to the end. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas um, Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing But later on, you'll understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he was talking about, uh, or he knew he was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. God, today, I pray for us to understand not only this picture of the disciples being together and learning so much over that span of three years, I can't even fathom it. And yet, God, here's Jesus as this time is winding down, wanting to make sure they understood at the core what is needed for the kingdom. Help us all understand it, God, that there will be a commitment and call to action in Jesus' name. Amen. It says that it was the, the, right at the Passover feast that everybody had gathered for this festival in Israel. And, and it says that Jesus knew that his time was winding down and he has a moment to teach the disciples something. I love at the end of verse one, where it says that he had loved them and he had loved them to the end, or he showed the full extent of his love. And that's something I want you to understand foundationally about this picture, that, that Jesus loved his disciples with everything he had in him and that they loved him back. They had a deep affection and care for one another. And it's all built around this three-year experience. It says the evening meal was in progress. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus, which is obviously not good at all. Jesus knew, and this is a big deal, that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And now verse four is the same sentence. Now I say that because Jesus understands he has a certain authority, but because time is winding down, he's got a moment to exercise his authority so his disciples get something they need to get. And it says this, that that he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Foot washing, back in that day, if you study scripture and understand this at all, foot washing was the lowliest job of the rookie servant. And so Jesus here is doing something you would never expect Jesus to do. He admits his title is teacher and Lord, and you would never expect somebody who's the teacher, somebody who's esteemed or respected a rabbi to wash the feet of other people. They just wouldn't do that. But remember, Jesus is trying to rewrite the rules of the kingdom because they've been twisted and manipulated for far too long. And so here they are and he bows down and and, and takes on foot washing. I want you to do me a favor real quick and I want you to take off your shoes and peel off your socks if you would. I'm just kidding, Don't, don't, don't do that. It's a terrible joke. And by the way, if you're one of those that flies and when you fly, you take your shoes and your socks off, stop it. Please, for the love of the rest of us, stop doing that. It's disgusting. 
Maybe you don't smell it. We do. It's horrible. All right, moving on. Free sermon. I want you to remember that, keep in mind, as Jesus is trying to help them understand kingdom principles, there's another story that we have that Mark also writes. And Mark, as an eyewitness and a, and a disciple, writes in Mark chapter 9, if you're taking notes, chapter 9, verse 35, that the disciples are talking about who's going to be the greatest. And at a certain point, Jesus knows they're having this conversation, and all of a sudden, he interjects and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? Like, uh, nothing. And all of a sudden, the story's out there, and he already knew, but he brings up a verse that, that says this, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So not only was Jesus teaching that when we read Mark 9, Jesus now is exemplifying that because something that you and I have to understand about the kingdom of God is that it requires humility. Everybody say humility. The kingdom of heaven requires humility. That you don't like maybe being called a servant, but the simple fact is you and I, if you're a follower of Christ, if you say you're a Christian, you and I are servants of the kingdom of God. That, that when you talk about leadership in the kingdom, it's not about climbing a ladder and getting to the top. It's really about flipping the ladder over and going, your goal is to get to the bottom, to be the servant of all. That's real leadership. Now, why is it such a big deal that in the kingdom of heaven, that humility is required for us to represent the kingdom? Because for you and I to exist together, for you and I to do life together, for you and I to help people understand grace and mercy and love and compassion and what 1 Corinthians 13 says about what love really is, humility is absolutely required. The kingdom of heaven does not advance when it's filled with pride. And you and I have seen examples of that all over the history of the world. There are all kinds of black eyes on the Christian faith because of what was done from a place of pride instead of humility, loving others instead of forcing ourselves into the world of other people. And so when you look at what's going on here, he, he, he all of a sudden now is washing their feet and he turns to Peter. So he's washed a, a one or two or three of the feet of the disciples and, and he comes to Peter. And I love Peter because Peter's a smart guy. Peter gets it. He shows up in, in front of Peter and it says this. Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter's a genius. Peter is picking things up quick. It's like, uh, that's the plan. And, and Peter's response is no. No. Do you know why Peter says no? Because Peter understands something you and I can pick up pretty easily. This is the teacher. This is the rabbi. This is even his Lord. I'm not letting the one who is far above me do something like this. And you could go, maybe he had bunions. Maybe he had, a, maybe he had an athlete's foot. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> but that's not the case. That is not why Peter says no. Peter says no because he's misunderstanding kingdom principles. And remember, as Jesus' window is closing in his opportunity to teach the disciples something, this is what he chooses to do. And so when Peter says no, it's really an issue of, of, of Peter needing some work done on his own humility. Remember, in a few moments from now, you know, a month and a half, whatever, from now, 
Peter is going to be one of the founders of the early church, the work of the, the Holy Spirit empowering Peter to stand up and, and preach messages and, and establish the kingdom is a big deal. But Peter has got to understand it has to come from a place of humility, not pride, not thinking you're all that because you preach a message and 3,000 people got saved and pretty soon Peter's offering autographs to his new book. See, Peter has got to understand humility. So when he comes to Peter and Peter says no, Jesus says, you, you, you're not allowed to say no. If you want anything to do with me, if you want to understand the kingdom at all, this needs to happen. And I don't know what it would be like to have my savior wash my feet, but I can imagine not just humility, but it would feel like humiliation. I can't let him. And that's that sometimes in our own attitude that, that I, I can't. I, I, I can't let that happen. I, I, I can't allow those individuals to do that for me. It's amazing how in a world where when you and I are healthy and strong and providing for ourselves, life is easier. But all of a sudden when you have a need, when you have a surgery, when you have something going on, as you age and all of a sudden you start needing others in a different way, you can see sometimes pride rises up and, and rightly so. It's, it's hard to lean on people when you've been providing for yourself and doing life your own way and all of a sudden things change. And nevertheless, when, when the kingdom is full of humility, you know what? I understand that there's times where I serve you and I understand there's times where you serve me and that's how it has to work because that's kingdom. He wants Peter to understand. So he washes Peter's feet and, and, and as the story continues on, it says, I'm gonna fast forward a little bit here. When he had finished, verse 12, washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He said to them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. We all are aware this is not about foot washing because most of us in here have never washed anybody's feet besides the child we've raised. We've never, hey, can I wash your feet after church today? Meet me out back over here. We, we haven't, so we know at the core, this isn't about physical foot washing, this is about you and I living in a spirit of humility so that you and I can exemplify to one another and to the world around us the kingdom of heaven and its principles. Here's what I love, watch this progression, and by the way, I'm gonna finish with this next week, John in the Gospel of John. As it opens up, John says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Nothing was made, but that which has been made. In him was life and this life is the light of all mankind. The light pierces the darkness, but the darkness hasn't understood it. That's the opening of the gospel of John. It's this kind of esoteric, maybe nebulous kind of idea of, of Jesus as the word and it's powerful, but it's still like kind of out there. And then as the gospels continue and Jesus is spending time with the disciples, they understand he, he's a rabbi, he's a teacher. And, and then they begin to take the step, he, he's, he's the Lord. That's a big deal, he's the Lord. And then like, wait, I, th he, I think he's the Messiah. Like, this is the Messiah, you guys, that's the Messiah. Peter says, you're, you're, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. And all of a sudden there's this progression in relationship that they get to experience over a span of three years, which when we get to next week ends in the gospel of John chapter 21 and it's very profound. But listen, in John chapter 13, Jesus says, yep, I'm your teacher and Lord and I am here to serve you and I want you to understand what it means to serve others. 
Whether you've chosen to follow Jesus or not, or you've heard about this whole idea of this Jesus, you have been deeply impacted by what he had to say, by the things he had to teach. Jesus rewrote the book on, on how you know, men are treated in our world. Jesus rewrote the book on how women are treated in our world. Jesus rewrote the book on understanding kids and, and, and that relationship in our world. Jesus rewrote the book on how we treat those that disagree with us. Jesus rewrote the book on how you and I are called to treat our enemies. He rewrote the whole thing, and our world has been impacted ever since then. He rewrote it that we would walk differently. But over and over and over, it's all understood from a lens of humility. And as he exemplified that to the disciples, as he showed it to those around him, as he walked this earth as the perfect example of how you and I would be challenged to walk every day with that kind of humility, with that kind of integrity, with that kind of relationship with his heavenly father, look what happened. John 15, two chapters later, see here he says, I'm your teacher and Lord. But two chapters later, John 15, he says, I'm the vine. You're the branches. My father's a gardener. If you you remain in me and I remain in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And he goes on this discourse about remaining in him and abiding in him and how important that is. But then he does this. He says in John 15, 15, look guys, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends for everything I've learned from the father I've made known to you. John 1, this nebulous idea of this Jesus guy to, to, to this idea that he's a rabbi, a teacher, to that he's Lord, to that he's Messiah, to now Jesus says, you guys, we are friends and there's a different relationship because of that time spent together. And remember, they are part of the greatest movement this world has ever seen. So, so they, they put their lives on the line so people could realize faith in Jesus. They, they died as martyrs for Christ and it's still happening today. That's the power of the connection they shared. And I simply want to say it this way. It's understanding the importance of this basic principle. Connection feeds commitment. Everybody say connection feeds commitment. The connection that they had to Jesus, fed the commitment that they gave their lives for later on. And the fact is for you and I, when we're connected to something, we look at it differently. And and there's a commitment to it that, that we maybe don't have when we're not connected. Can I be honest with you? Most of us in this room never cared about the discus. You're like, what, where did that come from? Some of you still don't today. But some of you are well aware that we had an individual in this community that that was raised here, that went to Marysville Pilchuck here, that graduated in 1995, and all of a sudden through an injury in football, had to take a left turn to another competition and began to throw discus and was really good at it. Not only really good at it to the point where he ended up in a D1 school and and, and did amazing and went on to make it to the Olympic team in 2004 and, and 2012, some in this room were, were friends of his. My wife knew him and they went to Pilchuck together because they both were class of 1995. Jared Rome was somebody who all of a sudden, because we had this connection to this guy who's from Marysville that's on the Olympic team, like we're watching the Olympics in 2004 and as the people are going by from different countries, you get to the United States of America and the flag and there he is, bigger than life because he was huge. Why? Why do we care? Because that connection feeds the commitment to watch how he does. And he was a national champion over and over. Silver medal in the the Pan Am Games back in 2011. Once again, the Olympics in 2012. Amazing. 
He passed away last week suddenly, right after. Three days before that, he was honored as one of the athletes. He got an award or he was inducted into the Snohomish County uh, Sports Hall of Fame. Amazing career. But then I got to see all these posts this week from different friends of mine that knew him, were friends with him, hung out with him, spent time. Well, why does it matter to me? Because there was a connection. Other examples, I see it with people on motorbikes all the time. People riding motorcycles, and what do they do when they drive by each other? Anybody ever pick up on this? It's not even this. No, 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 it's this. They're like... <laughs> see, God hasn't given me a bike yet, because I'd be the guy... Hey, weirdo, you don't get it. But seriously, every time motorcycle riders pass each other. By the way, somebody in the lobby last service goes, just so you know, they do this because it means keep two on the ground. Keep two wheels on the ground at all times. I'm like, great, now I know that. I don't even own a bike yet. But someday I'll be like, I'll be like, ee, little helmet on, ee. Like, I'm thinking dumb and dumber all of a sudden, like, Andrew, Ryan, come on. You know. Anyway, so I'm sorry you had to think that. But you see, you see this, this, this connection that feeds commitment in something as simple as owning and riding motorcycles. You see it in the extreme with Harley riders because what they do is they travel across states to go to a place called Sturgis every summer to throw a giant, giant party for each other. Connection feeds commitment. I think of Seahawk fans. And how it's like, hey, I'm a 12, you're a 12, we're 12s, we're in this, go Hawks. And then I think of Mariner fans like, are there, are there any Mariner fans? We have a major league team in Seattle, you guys. The Mariners aren't just seafaring people. They're actually a team in Seattle. But here's the thing. Most people jumped off the bandwagon a long time ago because they quit winning a long time ago. And yet, if you went to school with one of them, or if you were married to one of the players, all the way to the end of the season, I think today you'd be like, go Mariners. Because connection feeds commitment. I was, uh, my, my son signed up for um, the, the freshman football team at Getchell this year, never played football before. And I'm like, all right, buddy, let's do this, man. Go for it. I'm, go, you know, you, it's awesome. So he's, he's been practicing, and, and the first game was a couple of weeks ago. And he's new to it. So I went to the game, Heather and I. And, and if you're at Getchell, they don't have bleachers on the other side. They only have bleachers on one side. And so here's Getchell, you know, fans and parents and we're there, you know, go Chargers. And then there's like fans from the other team kind of down a little bit and doing their thing. But there's this one gal that's right with us. And she doesn't sit down for a moment. She's standing on her bleacher. And I, by the will of God, somehow sat three rows behind her. And the entire time she's standing, and not only is she yelling, come on, yelling for her team, yelling for what play they should be doing, yelling for what players should be doing every time the ball is hiked because somehow she's the sideline coach, I don't know what, but she's yelling about everything. And in the midst of yelling, she's berating our team. Keep in mind, if she's on our side, here's all of our players, and she's yelling over them to yell for her team. But she's not just yelling for her team. She's saying, they're not hungry enough. They don't want it. Glad the ref missed that call. We got another touchdown. Entire game. We get to somewhere, let's say, about middle of the third quarter, and she keeps doing it, and the scores run up to like 8,000 to 1. It's, 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 it, was, it was like 50 to 7 or something like that. And, and it's just to end the team, little by little, minute by minute, is more and more deflated because it's just rough. And I'm a dad sitting three rows behind this lady who keeps going off. 
and I'm getting a little heated. And my wife's like, babe, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm like, oh, it's all good. There was a play that was a blatant, terrible call. Nothing against refs, but the ref missed it. They ended up getting a pick six or fumble or something. Ran it all the way back. She's going nuts. She's yelling, yeah, yeah. And so finally, as it calms down, I just go, would you please show some sportsmanship? You ever make the worst decision in your life? <laughs> I apparently should not have said that because she turns around and unleashes on me this barrage of four-letter words and, and sexist words and all this stuff, and she's going off on me, and then the person down here that hadn't said a word, she turns on another one and starts pointing at this one, yelling and yelling. She t- my wife hadn't said a word, turns on my wife and challenges her. And I'm sitting there like, oh my gosh. So Heather stands up, gets her in a headlock. And it's, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That, that, I'm joking. That, even, listen, even if I wanted that to happen, that didn't happen, okay? But, but it's that whole thing of like, look, why did it matter? If, if I, last year, if that happened to the freshman team and I was there, would it have mattered the same? No, why? Because my son's down there. And there's some of his friends that I know and I care about and I pray for that are down there too. And, and they've got teammates that they're getting to know one another and they're on a team together and that's my team now. So I care because connection feeds commitment. And so all of a sudden, this lady yelling, going off, she goes off on me. I'm like, I'm not gonna say another word. We're cool, whatever. And all of a sudden, somebody else called the cops. Seriously. So, so the cops come up. She thinks it's me. She looks back at me like, how dare you? I don't call the, look, I don't need the cops. Look at me. Anyway, I'm just joking. So the cops come, they, they, they pull her out of her seat and they, they go down here somewhere. I didn't watch it. I'm watching the game, whatever. It's a lot quieter and more enjoyable. Anyway, and so then, then she comes back and the cops are a little ways behind her and they come up to me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't, I, I. So they just said, listen, uh, you, you guys need to not be harassing each other and swearing, whatever. I'm like, I haven't said a four-letter word. I don't remember how long. It's been weeks. Anyway, so I'm just joking. Um, But but honestly, all I said was, officer, I totally get it. I agree with you. Thank you so much. And let them walk away. But I'm thinking, what are people, the pastor just like caused a riot at a football game or something. (laughs) That's what I'm I'm thinking in my head. Like we've tried for years to build a good reputation. And all of a sudden, like it all went south in one moment because I'm an idiot and said, show some sportsmanship, you know. Um, But but my whole point, let me go back to the point because there is a point. Um, (laughs) But my whole point is simply this. When you're, com- when, you're, when you're connected, there's a different sense of commitment. There's a sense of ownership that you have. And the simple challenge I want to bring, as I need to wrap this up, is this. When it comes to you and I calling ourselves the family of God, calling ourselves the body of Christ, let me ask you this. How's your, how's your connection? How, 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 are you, how are you connected to the body of Christ? What does it look like for you to build bridges towards greater connection? And yes, this is very much about that as as life groups launch, we want people to get connected in groups because we believe discipleship happens best in the context of a small group of people doing life together, reading scripture together, walking this journey together, sharing things to pray for together. And I want to challenge that question. And Next week, we're going to get more specific, but I want to challenge that question for all of us because it is true that connection feeds Commitment. God, today, 
I, I don't, I, we've said forever that we don't believe that it's about, hey, I show up and, and this happens on a Sunday, I go home. That God, there's, there's a sense that we are family, that we, we talk about in our language together and our code, that, that it takes all of us for we to win. That there's things that you want to do in the, in, in the midst of our lives and our hearts that, that isn't just me and you, God. Because even when you talked about, hey, the one command, summon, hey, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor. And I pray that not only is that, yeah, about those that live around us and what we do to help shine the light of Jesus and, and uh, all that, but, but God, also that sense of like, what does it look like for us to be family, for us to build those bridges, for individuals to get to know one another in this room as, as we gather in groups, as we serve together. I pray we would understand that principle to a greater degree when it comes to that spiritual dynamic. Connection feeds commitment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.